This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c everyone. Welcome to the Peds Doc Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mona, where each week I hope to educate and inspire you in your journey through parenthood with information on your most common concerns as a parent and interviews with fellow parents and experts in the field. My hope is you leave each week feeling more educated, confident, and empowered in the decisions you make for your child. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode where I have Dr. Bridget Young, who is also known as Baby Formula Expert on Instagram, and she has a PhD in nutrition, and we are going to be talking all about formula. Welcome, Dr. Young. Woohoo! Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so excited I found you. Your website, which I'll be attaching to the uh, show notes as well as your Instagram, is an amazing source of information. Formula selection is so confusing. So I took it upon myself to research more about formulas. And guess where, guess what website I found when I was doing my research? Oh, I'm so honored. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, that's how I found her in the first place. And then, you know, I read through it and then I'm like, let me see if I can contact her to get her on the podcast. And she agreed. So welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. So tell me more about your background training. What brought you to becoming baby formula expert? Yes. Well, I've been working with moms and babies for more years than I would like to count right now. (laughs) Um, So I have my PhD in nutrition at Cornell, and I did a postdoctoral fellowship in pediatric nutrition specifically at the University of Colorado, and then joined faculty there in pediatric nutrition for several years. And then currently, I am pediatric faculty at the University of Rochester. So I have a PhD, which means I wear a huge nerd hat, not socially cool, like a pediatrician. Um, And I run a research lab. So currently I study, I've been for years studying breast milk composition, working with breastfed moms and babies. And I'm also a certified lactation counselor. So I actually got into formula I'm trying to think how many, many, many years ago um, through studying, obviously, breast milk composition and forms, formula, formulation. And one of the things that I was very embarrassed about was when working with breastfeeding moms who occasionally would need to supplement for a number of reasons. And they would say, you know, we've reached this point. I need to supplement. What's your recommendation for formula? I didn't have one. And so like you knew not much about it, but I'm, you know, qualified enough to learn. And so I started diving into formula nutrition and understanding how you may 
try to make evidence-based recommendations for one individual baby versus another. And that was over seven years ago. My, you know, put that information on my first website. And then it's just kind of grown from there. And so today, in addition to my research, I also work clinically with children, babies experiencing formula tolerance issues. And it's a really wonderful way to kind of blend the two to be in the the front edge of studying human milk composition and then understanding how that affects formula development and then actually working with kiddos having issues with their formula. So it's a lot of fun. No, that's great. And you definitely have so much information on your website. And what we're going to be talking about in this episode is the main points of your website. Basically, the main topics that when a parent goes to the store or decides, you know, what formula to get, we're going to be going through how they can decide the terminology, I think, is going to become really important when parents are looking um, looking for formula. So we'll get into all of that. Some some myths that happen with formula selection, but I'm so excited. I think we have a great, great list of questions ready to go. Perfect. Let's do it. So the first question I have was about regulation in the United States. So people often feel that the United States doesn't regulate formula well. What are your thoughts about the regu- regulatory process in the States? It's a great question. And it's a really good point for parents to understand what is quote unquote regulated versus not. So um, I don't have opinion on whether it's good or bad. It is what it is. And if parents just understand what the FDA is, the regulatory body for formula in the United States, what they do, then you know what their job is and what they don't regulate. So in the United States, the FDA's job is to basically uh, regulate the safety of formulas in terms of contamination. And they also regulate the parameters, the nutritional parameters that a formula has to fall into. So you, anybody can go to the FDA website and find the nutritional parameters for what an infant formula needs to contain. You know, it's a list of all the vitamins and minerals and nutrients and a range of minimums and maximums. And they also maintain um, regulation on what types of ingredients can be used. So for example, you can't just put olive oil in formula, even though some people would like to. Every ingredient that is used in formula has gone through safety testing, is research proven to be safe for for infants. And so there's a limited list. And so that's what the FDA regulates, what can go into formula and the range it can be in. And then they also play a very big role, like I mentioned, in safety. They inspect all formula manufacturers annually in the United States. They do batch testing. So, you know, when you hear that scary recall, that's the FDA, that's their job and they maintain records. So if there is, God forbid, a recall, the news is spread right away. People find out immediately. So that's their job. So it's not their job to, um, for example, talk about organic versus not organic. They don't say this ingredient's probably a better choice than that ingredient. That's completely out of their purview. So when people, I you know, see a lot of conversation about people probably wishing the FDA did more, but they have a very specific purview and they do that purview very well. I feel very comfortable that infant formula is the safest food on the market. Nothing else gets safety tested like infant formula as it should be, um, but they don't do nutrition quality research or make any kind of statements along those lines. So I think that's helpful for parents to understand starting off. And I'll throw in one more thing that's very interesting about the FDA and differs from Europe is that the FDA regulates the term quote unquote infant formula. So anything marketed as an infant formula by law meets the needs of an infant from birth to 12 months. So when you see things like 
infant formula stage one in the US or stage two or infant formula for supplementing. That's all marketing. There may be minute differences in a couple of the nutrients up or down a little bit. But for example, a baby who's exclusively formula fed can totally have a formula marketed as for supplementing. That's by law. A baby who's a newborn or for a better example is a baby who's seven months old can still drink stage one formula by law. It will meet his needs. Um, Europe regulates differently, but that's a source of a confusion for a lot of parents. And if they understand the FDA regulating, then then it just takes a load off your mind when looking at those different flashy labels. Thank you so much for clarifying that, especially the newborn versus infant and the marketing behind it. Um, people often ask that in my office and I tell them, I'm like, it's actually, like you said, nutritionally or equivalent in terms of what it is. It's just that they're hoping that you see it as a next phase and then maybe you'll buy the next stage up. Um, so I completely agree with that. So would you say that the European formulas are quote unquote better? Because a lot there's a lot of parents now who are interested. One of the, t- the two main brands I hear is Holly and Hip. Oh yeah. Um, I'm, pronoun- I'm, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but <laughs> do you feel like they're better quote unquote or are American formulas under the FDA regulation um, okay to use? Oh, American formulas are absolutely okay to use. Very, very safe. I feel very comfortable recommending them all day, every day. So they're, they're just different. So I would never say one is better than the other. I think we'll get into this. Every baby is different. Just like every person is different for an adult. You would never say all adults are going to thrive on the exact same diet. And I think babies, that's my opinion. Babies are the same. So there's going to be a different formulation that's going to help one baby really thrive and digest comfortably than another baby. And so finding the ingredients that match your baby's biology, that's what my website's all about. That's my big mantra. So that conversation, in my mind, completely supersedes European versus American. So I can very briefly say European formulas are regulated by the European Commission, kind of like their version of the FDA. So they're regulated by a different body. And the European Commission does kind of take on a bigger job than the FDA. They have a they have more parameters and more requirements that they put on formula, which makes some people find them desirable. For example, they do have um, requirements about detectable levels of pesticides in all of their formulas. And they have um, more strict criteria about exactly what types of ingredients can be used. So that makes some people feel more comfortable that you can find formulas in the US that meet all those criteria. So it's not like one is universally better than the other. It's honestly, it's understanding a lot of difference in regulation, which is very boring to discuss and not what I think I'm an expert in. Um, but the nutrition and the ingredients, I always think are the number one priority in finding the new ingredient blend that matches your baby's biology. I knew we would get along because this is so important for people to hear. Uh, and, you know, it's, it is a modern parenting thing where this whole, you know, European formula, like all my, a lot of my patients and Instagram followers who are in the States, you know, they DM me and they ask and they're like, Hey, I, I want to get a European formula. Where do I buy it from? And I say, I'm not against it. Like you said, I think it's great if you can find it from a reputable place, but the American formulas are perfectly fine. And like you beautifully said, as long as you find the right one for your baby, if there's some issues, talking to your pediatrician, obviously doing your own research is going to be the best thing, but you don't necessarily have to go overseas. It's an important concept because what I think happens then is that you know, on mommy groups or whatever it is, parent, a mom is using an American formula and she finds out, oh, well, this Holly was better. And she's like, well, this one was working for my kids. Should I switch? No, not 
necessarily. So I don't want people to feel guilted that they're not doing the best thing for their child when there's so many great formulas in the United States also. Yes. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, you're a pediatrician. Whenever people are considering European formulas, I have the same opinion. But my number one thing is you must involve your pediatrician. There are minor differences in regulation that your pediatrician will know about that, that do make a big difference. And getting the formula from a reputable source so you know it hasn't sat in the sun, it's not past the expiration date, you know, things that can make it go very bad very quickly are all things you have to take into account when you're using a European formula that just you can take for granted in the U.S. that it's safe, it's within the expiration date, you'll hear about a recall. So it's a little bit of a risk-benefit discussion that you have to have with your pediatrician. Now we're going to go into talking about the composition of formula, which I think is really important. And I, again, your website had everything detailed. We're taking the big, the big points um, for this conversation. But first, let's talk about the protein sourcing formula. What is it? What is it composed of? And how does it differ than breast milk? Okay, this is my favorite topic because uh, it's not talked about very much. And in my opinion, this is all mom's ears are going to perk up. This is the biggest factor in terms of baby comfort when digesting a formula. So if we're talking about dairy-based formulas, which is most formula and most standard formulas, uh, protein, either from a human breast or cow, comes in two components whey and casein. So these are categories of protein, just like trees are either deciduous or coniferous. All proteins in mammals milk are either whey proteins or casein proteins, um, and they behave differently. So casein proteins, so you can keep them apart. Do you remember Little Miss Muffet? Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her curds and her whey. Whey. So curds are casein. That's what makes them casein. If you drop a protein into an acidic environment, like a tummy, if it curdles, it's casein. If it remains liquid, it's whey. Like that's the only difference. So like when your baby spits up on you, the part that soaks right through your shirt and gets your skin wet is liquid. That's whey. The little tiny white chunks that you have to like smear all over your shirt and don't come up. That's casein. So the reason it's important to think about them when picking a formula, or especially if you're switching a formula is to think about how they behave in the stomach. So human breast milk's different between moms, but it's roughly 60% whey, 40% casein. So more whey than casein. Cow's milk protein is the other way around. It's roughly 80% casein, 20% whey. So much more curdle, much less liquid when it's in the stomach. Um, I want to be clear, that's not exactly the same thing. So Cow's milk casein proteins, there's a lot of different proteins that are in the casein category. They might not be exactly the same as proteins in the breast milk casein category. So it's not as easy as just add more whey and we've got breast milk. We're still working on that from a research standpoint, but it's important for parents to just understand going in that there's going to be a lot more casein in a cow's milk protein. So a lot of formulas will add extra whey back to try to bring that ratio up to be more like breast milk and have it predominantly whey. Mm. Some formulas though do not. And that's a really big difference. So it's not like one is better and one is worse. They're just really different. So in general, um, whey empties the stomach faster because it's liquid. So that's something to keep in mind when you're choosing. So if you have a baby who's on a formula and you have regurgitative issues, so a lot of spit up, maybe reflux, projectile um, spit up, anything where 
you would be really interested in getting that formula into their intestines and out of their stomach more quickly then choosing a formula or moving to a formula that has more whey and less casein might be a really good option for you. Um, and vice versa, if you're on a formula that has a lot of that extra whey added back in, but your baby is just not doing well, you're, you know, they're not digesting well, something is, you know, they're healthy, but something just doesn't seem to be sitting right with them in their digestion, then maybe trying a formula with more casein and less whey, so it's a little bit different, sometimes that makes a difference in helping them. So just switching to either more predominantly casein versus more predominantly whey. Um, the kicker is you basically need a PhD to figure it out on the label. I mean, I exaggerate. You don't, I'll break it down for you, but it's not like the front of the can says, this is a predominantly casein formula. I really wish it did. But the way that you find out if it's whey or casein, you could go to my website and, and look at the charts I have there, but you have to flip over the can and look at the list of ingredients. If you see whey there, then you know they added whey back. And so it's going to be a predominantly whey formula. If you just see skim milk or non-fat milk protein, they just kind of expect that you have this knowledge that skim milk is predominantly casein. And so then you know, okay, I'm feeding a formula where the protein is predominantly casein. Again, one is not better than the other, but they do behave very differently in the mechanics of digestion, which naturally makes sense is going to dive with some babies versus not with other babies. And so it's a really good, I describe it as kind of like a lever that you can pull when you switch formulas, trying to address what's making your baby uncomfortable if they're having discomfort digesting. I have seen those labels and I agree with you. You need a more than a PhD, an MDD or whatever. It is very complicated. And I, you know, I actually learned that tip from your website about how to read the labels, which I, that's why I'm so happy that you're joining me and about, you know, what you just mentioned is such a good pearl. And I think that's going to help so many families when they're standing in that aisle, wondering where to even begin. The other component of formula is carbohydrates. So obviously we know that they have carbohydrates and one of the most common one is corn syrup. A lot of parents are have cor corn syrup phobia. What are your thoughts about corn syrup and formula? Is it okay? Is it safe? More about the, the composition of that. Yes. Um, I'm so glad you asked this because I get this question all the time too. And like I said, I have a PhD in nutrition, so I get the corn syrup phobia. I totally understand. The thing to remember is that Babies are not just tiny adults in terms of their intestines. So they have a very limited repertoire of ingredients that they can digest. Obviously, from an evolutionary perspective, they're made to only drink breast milk for the first, you know, four to six months. So if they're not getting breast milk, then they have to have other inputs that they can digest. So the predominant or really the only carbohydrate in breast milk is lactose. That's also the carbohydrate in cow's milk. So most formulas have some amount of lactose. But if the baby is not, if the baby's formula does not have lactose, there's very few carbohydrates we can use as a replacement because babies don't express all the enzymes that older kids and adults do. Like you can't just feed, we know this, a baby oat fiber. They won't be able to break it down. So they have to have these very simple sugars, a sugar is a carbohydrate, in order for them to get the energy that they need from their carbohydrates. 
As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 and use code pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code pedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. So if it's not lactose, which you will see on most formula labels, um, corn syrup is one of the most common substitutes for lactose. You may um, also see sucrose, which is table sugar, which I know is really scary to parents. But again, if it's not lactose, it has to be basically either um, corn syrup or sugar. There's a lot of other words that formula companies are wising up for instead of saying just corn syrup or, but are using other ingredients that all digest the same thing. So brown rice syrup, corn syrup solids, glucose syrup, um, those maltodextrin, they all metabolize into plain glucose, which probably sounds familiar. That's the, that's the sugar that you have going around in your blood that keeps your body, that keeps your body functioning. So those all break down to the glucose very quickly so that the baby can actually harvest that energy. So it's not super scary to see most, but I will say most babies completely thrive on hundred percent lactose. So if you, if you're, it still is not just sitting well with your intuition to have your baby on a formula that has corn syrup in it, then choose a formula to start with that has lactose in it. But I don't want parents to ever be fearful of seeing those words on the label. And you said this earlier and I applauded in my head. If your baby, my number one rule is if your baby is thriving, you have found the perfect formula for your family. So if your baby is thriving and then you just happen to realize 
that there's corn syrup or corn syrup solids in there. I personally would not tell you to change formulas. I would say you found the perfect formula for your baby. Look how well they're doing. Stick with it, mama. You're doing a great job. <laughs> I love that tip. And I think that is so important because why, why fix what's not broken? That's like the, yeah. the parenting motto with everything. And like, yes, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I like, well, save the worry for potty training. Yikes. Yes. <laughs> so much other things to worry about. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. And the next thing about formula was the addition of prebiotics and probiotics in formula. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, are they beneficial? What's the difference between prebiotics and probiotics? Yeah. Uh, I love this question. I'm totally going to answer it. I'm going to answer a different question first, and then I promise I will get back to it. Because there's, there's something new all the time. Like we just have now milk fat globule membrane and lactoferrin, and now we have HMOs. So I call these these sexy extras. So prebiotics and probiotics. Um, from a research standpoint, they're all super fun to talk about. But I will just say the number one factor for your baby's comfort is going to be those major ingredients, the protein, the carbohydrate, and the fat. So adding a prebiotic is not going to make a difference if your baby can't digest the protein well. You know, it's not going to magically cure them. So I view all those extras as like icing on top of the cake, but I always ask parents to focus if they're trying to fix a problem, focus on those main big ingredients that make up the 98% of the formula first, and then worry about all the sexy stuff. So with that in mind, prebiotics and probiotics are totally a sexy topic right now. They're the source of a lot of marketing, which can be really confusing. Um, But here's the difference. Prebiotics are food for healthy bacteria. So pre always means like it comes first. So they are the food for the healthy bacteria in the baby's gut, that the baby's growing very rapidly. Babies are born without very much and they have tons of healthy bugs move in, especially over the first six months. Probiotics are healthy bacteria themselves. So probiotics are live quote unquote, good bugs that are either included or formula. There's a lot of supplements that parents can buy too. There's a bunch of different kinds. I mean, we could have a whole episode going over the different types. I don't have a universal recommendation of one versus the other. I just don't think we know enough yet to be able to make that kind of universal recommendation. I think they can be really helpful for some babies. Um, but again, if I have a if I'm working with a baby who's really having what we consider a formula tolerance issue is really uncomfortable, a prebiotic and a probiotic is never the first thing I consider. It's always those major nailing down those major ingredients that jive with that baby's intestines first, and then maybe adding a prebiotic or a probiotic once we get that figured out. So you said in clinical practice, you work with a lot of families who are whose children are on formulas and see if you need to change things around, correct? Yes. So what are, in your opinion, obviously I'm a physician and you're a PhD who does this on a daily basis. What would be signs that a family would say, hey, maybe I need to talk to my doctor or a specialist about switching formulas? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So I kind of think about this in tiers, uh, tiers of how quickly you need to call your doctor. First of all, I would say, if you have a question at all, call your doctor. I'm sure you agree. Like, even if you're just curious about something, if you want to change formula, but even just for a small problem, still to always call your pediatrician. They know your baby's medical history. All pediatricians are nice people. That's why they're in pediatrics. They're happy to talk to you. Um, but r- things to look for if you to change formula immediately, I think parents know this, if you see blood in the stool, if your baby's having any kind of congestion, lots of nasal dripping, um, mucus, either in their lung, you know, coughing or a lot of clumps of mucus in their stool, 
full body rashes, like those are big reasons to call your pediatrician right away. And your pediatrician definitely wants to hear about that. Um, I think probably everybody knows that. Other things um, that I think are probably more common that uh, probably all parents deal about, but that can sometimes be fixed with formula. Not all the time. Gas is a big one. And every baby has gas. Breastfed babies have gas. Yes. Breastfed babies have, all babies have gas. Now there are some things in formula that can make some babies gas worse. So some, and you know, we're, I'm happy to talk about those. So sometimes um, an ingredient switch in formula can help with gas. It will never eliminate gas, but it can help. Um, some formulas have really been shown to be very helpful with eczema. So if eczema is something your baby's suffering from, I'm sure you're discussing it with your pediatrician to begin with, but talking about what formula they're on and a switch could help. Definitely anything that you know is in the intestines. So um, excessive spit up or reflux, you know, formula, if your baby's on formula, that will be part of the conversation with your pediatrician. Constipation, for sure. Like that's obviously something that's not moving in the intestines. Sometimes changing certain ingredients in formula can help with those things. So things directly in the intestines like gas, constipation, and regurgitation um, are often things that I deal with. And um, more minor immune-related symptoms, the classic one is eczema. So one of the one of the most common things that I hear, and maybe again, this is not a GI talk, but it, it is important because it's the infant gut and formula is heavily involved, is a lot of parents think that their child is lactose intolerant in newborn period or infancy. So I want to clarify because again, we're I'm gonna do a whole other episode about cow milk's protein allergy and lactose intolerance, which lactose intolerance is very, very rare in yeah. infancy. Yeah. Um, it's usually something that you, that presents much later, but have you heard that as well? Oh yeah. All the time, all the time. Um, so yes, I always tell parents a true lactose intolerance in an infant is very rare. It's tested for at the hospital. Like you would know. Um, now, so my thoughts on lactose, when babies have issues that nor well, symptoms that are associated with lactose intolerance in an adult, like gas, bloating, cramping. I always say like, Hey, I see why you would think this might be a lactose problem. I would bet my bottom dollar. It's a protein problem in a baby because they're designed to digest lactose. So, um, now some babies do seem to do better on a little bit of a lactose reduced formula, which we described earlier. If, it, if you take lactose out, you have to add corn syrup or something similar back in. So to get rid of the lactose, you have to add something back in. Some babies really do seem to do better on a little bit of a lactose reduction. But in general, if I see things like that, cramping, um, really big bloating, you know, where the baby's so distended after having a bottle, uh, I usually think about assessing the protein. The vast majority of formula tolerance issues or digestive discomfort issues are with the protein, not the lactose. So I always start there. And then, you know, we can consider the lactose separately afterwards, but start with the protein first. And what Bridget was saying, you know, in terms of having a true lactose intolerance or lactose allergy, there is a screening test done in the hospital. And in those situations, like the only formula that is pretty much for true lactose intolerance, if that is happening and it is rare, is a soy formula. Yes, because and it's not because of the soy. It's because all soy formulas in the U.S. are 100% lactose-free. Because they have no milk, there's no risk of a little bit of contaminating lactose 
from that milk. And so thank God we have those formulas for those babies. It's life-saving for them. And that brings me to my next question. And I'll tell you why it brings me to this in a bit, but hydrolyzed formulas. So um, that is a term that I, I don't know if everyone listening will understand, but what is an example of hydrolyzed formula? What does it mean in terms of the science? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So hydrolyzed formula is a way, or, or hydrolyzed itself, the word, comes from hydrolysis, which just means to break apart. I always joke that like in medicine, we have to have fancy words for things so we can sound very elite. But if you hear hydrolyzed or hydrolysis, just think broken apart. So a partially hydrolyzed formula is a partially broken down formula. So that's a way of categorizing proteins. So you could have a partially hydrolyzed whey formula. You could have a partially hydrolyzed soy formula. So it just means we've taken the proteins and kind of think of like breaking them in half. And so they're they're pre-digested, basically. Um, so we do have several options on the market of partially hydrolyzed formulas. And this just means the proteins themselves have been broken down a little bit in size. The reason, historically, formula companies started making these is because cow's milk proteins, if you think about them molecularly, they're bigger in size than breast milk proteins. So baby cows drink bigger proteins than baby humans. Um, turns out they're very different animals. They have very different needs. So that kind of makes sense. So the formula company said, well, maybe we should break these down and see if that helps some of our more sensitive kids or kids who are having trouble growing, if that helps them. Um, and there's no research to say that that obviously one is universally better or we would universally recommend them. But I do personally think it is a great, it's just a great option to have if that is your baby. So if, you know, this is a conversation you definitely have with your pediatrician, but if your baby, definitely if they're having trouble growing or if they're having trouble, you think that they're having trouble digesting their protein, moving or trying a partially hydrolyzed formula can help. So basically some of the work is already done for them for digesting protein and protein is one of the hardest components of a formula to digest. So examples of those are both Gerber Gentle and Gerber Soothe are partially hydrolyzed whey formulas. They have no casein at all. Enfamil has both Gentilese and Reguline. And those are partially hydrolyzed formula that are a blend of whey and casein and then partially hydrolyzed. Similac has total comfort, which is a partially hydrolyzed whey. So you can see how with protein, you kind of have two levers you can pull. You can tweak the whey and casein ratio, and you can also tweak the protein size by moving from a standard to a partially hydrolyzed formula. So it's very overwhelming to see all the cans in the formula aisle, but once you know what you're looking for, you can see how you can get so many options pretty quickly. But I do think having a partially hydrolyzed formula is very helpful for kids who are really having um, a hard time digesting. The other thing is sometimes when kids, after they've been sick or if they've had a hard time digesting, they can have minor inflammation in their intestines just temporarily. They're totally going to be fine and outgrow it. But sometimes in the meantime, when you're trying to help them get back on their feet, to use a phrase, having a partially hydrolyzed protein can kind of help them by doing a little bit of that work for them. And two comments. One is that this is not sponsored by any of those companies. I have to say oh, that yeah, because sorry, <laughs> no, I forgot to I, at, the be, at the beginning. So I'm pretty sure my, my, no, my no listeners... My listeners know that I, I make that clear if I am being if we're sponsoring something, but no. Um, but it's funny. I actually, I personally formula feed my son and we do Gerber Soothe. It's just what I thought also from my research and from what I knew. So I'm, I'm loving hearing that you also agree that it's, it's a good partially hydrolyzed formula. 
what are extensively hydrolyzed formulas? And again, I know a lot of my listeners may not ever have to get to these formulas, but what are some examples of this? When would a child need these formulas? Yes, great question. So you start off with standard formulas. You can break down the proteins to be partially hydrolyzed like we just discussed. And then you can break down the proteins even more to be fully hydrolyzed. And you'll see that phrasing on the ingredients. In the United States, fully hydrolyzed formulas are also hypoallergenic. So an allergy is the body's immune system reacting to a protein. So a hypoallergenic formula, we've hydrolyzed or broken down the proteins into such small, tiny pieces that the immune system doesn't even recognize them anymore. So a fully hydrolyzed formula is a hypoallergenic formula. So if your baby has been diagnosed with a cow's milk allergy, then they need a formula that the protein is so small that that allergy isn't triggered by their formula, obviously. So hypoallergenic formulas and fully hydrolyzed formulas are synonyms. In the U.S., it's different phrasing in Europe. So in the U.S., you've only got three options for hypoallergenic formula. So you have Similac... um, Elementum, you have Gerber HA, which stands for hypoallergenic, and then you have Nutramigen. So those three are hypoallergenic formulas, and that's it. So you have much more limited options. So a lot of babies who are really having a hard time growing or definitely they have an allergy end up on a hypoallergenic formula. I always say, if you're in the store and you're holding one of those cans in your hand, don't buy it without talking to your pediatrician. Like if you get that far down, that is definitely a conversation you want your pediatrician involved in because, you know, there's just so many other things you would want your baby assessed for at that stage. And you definitely want your pediatrician involved. I am so happy you said that because what I see a lot of is, for example, just using gas as a symptom. The baby has gas alone and the parents are jumping from formula to formula, going on what you know what a friend said online or a friend that they know of that worked for their baby. But it's really important that whoever's listening, you talk to the pediatrician in terms of the symptoms so that they can direct you. Do you need maybe a partially hydrolyzed? Do you need extensively hydrolyzed? The thing about these ex- are, um, fully hydrolyzed formulas like Nutramigen, Elementum, from a pediatrician standpoint, they're very expensive and they actually don't taste that great compared to the other formulas. Oh, they're nasty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in residency, we had to do a taste test of them. Yes. <laughs> and it tastes, I mean, of course, if a baby needs them, we have to give it. So I don't want you to feel that way. But if we don't have to give it to them, we don't want to because maybe there's other formulas that we can use for price also. And that also brings me to another comment, which is what I was saying earlier about a mother who came into my office once and her child was on Nutramigen and she was so upset because she said, well, my child has a milk protein allergy, but Nutramigen has lactose in it. And I was so confused because I looked at the label and it, it says it has lactose. And I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. And she's like, my, I'm supposed to be on a formula for my child's milk protein allergy. I'm like, you are Nutramigen. And I, it's an important clarification that we also said briefly earlier that lactose is a sugar and milk protein is a protein. And so even these fully hydrolyzed formulas contain lactose, right? Some of them? So, well, some of them can have trace lactose because yes. they have, so they don't, they're not contributing a lot of the calories as lactose, but they can have trace lactose because they use cow's milk based ingredients. That's good to know. And again, it's, yeah. it's, that's why it's so complicated reading those labels. Yes, I know that's wanna... such a nuanced difference. So like that kind of difference is only relative to those babies with that rare genetic disorder. Yes. But 
that's the kind of language that gets people really confused. Understandably. <laughs> and like she was saying, the fully hydrolyzed formulas like um, Alimentum, Nutramagen, these are formulas that we as pediatricians all sometimes put our children on for cow milk, cow milk protein allergy, which she mentioned, and also for reflux sometimes, because sometimes cow milk protein allergy can present as reflux. Um, so again, that's another reason why Bridget said beautifully, talk to your pediatrician, because based on the weight your child's at, the symptoms your child's having, they will dictate, okay, let's try this. The number one thing, and I'm going to reiterate it again, when you start to switch formulas, especially to these hydrolyzed formulas, too soon. You may have just jumped the gun when you didn't really need to. And then it kind of can confound some of the picture of the, you know, what's going on clinically. So it's really important to speak to your doctor. I, I'm so glad you said that, Bridget. And I always say pediatricians are so nice. Like they're always happy to chat. They would always rather hear from you first before making these decisions anyway. Absolutely. And that's our job. And, you know, we, so what we know as pediatricians, we know all the basic categories, right? Like I know um, first line, what I like, if I'm going to a more partially hydrolyzed, extensively hydrolyzed, obviously if I need to do a soy formula, you and your website is a wealth of information for all those nitty gritty things. And that's why I think it's so great that we're talking because I even think that if my fellow colleagues listen to this, they may not know about the details or they may have forgotten from their training about the whey and casein, about the carbohydrates, about the fats and all these things that you're discussing. So your pediatrician is a good starting point. I, I don't think any pediatrician is going to get upset at you for doing your own research, but obviously remember it is so catered to patient to patient, which is why you need to talk to your doctor too. So you mentioned earlier about reading labels and you talked about um, whey and how you can kind of figure that out. Is there anything else a parent should think about when they're approaching a label and how to read it? Yeah. Number one is remember you have a baby. Thus, you are already a rock star. Do not be intimidated. You're like You guys have brought a baby into this world. That is the hardest job. Don't let this label get the better of you. So if I had my perfect world, all formulas would just be in silver cans with the ingredients. That's it. There would be no marketing. There would definitely be no glitter font because all of that is really just confusing. So when you're looking at a formula, I would say, ignore the front, pick it, turn it over and look at the back. There's two sections to the nutrition label. There's the nutrition label that we usually look at first when we're adults. It tells you like how many calories, how many of those comes from fat. Um, you can pretty much completely ignore that on an infant formula label because that's what the FDA regulates. The FDA says to be an infant formula, you have to have this much protein, this much fat, you know, this many milligrams of vitamin C. Um, so that's very tightly regulated. There's minute differences between formulas, but honestly, not enough that I ever really make my decision based on that. The only thing you should look at is the actual list of ingredients. And then you can do a lot of detective work by looking at the list. So infant formula ingredients have to follow the same regulation as adult ingredients. So the number one ingredient that you see is the most quantity. So they're listed in order of quantity. So you can get a little gauge at, for example, if your formula has both lactose and corn maltodextrin, for example. Well, which one of those comes on the label first? That's the one that there's more of. So you can read a little nuance into it that way. And then also, you know, like we mentioned before, is non-fat milk the first ingredient as it often is? Great. Is there whey farther down on the list of ingredients? If yes, well, then they you have a whey predominant formula because they added more whey back. If it's missing, then you have a casein predominant formula. 
So you have the list of ingredients and then every formula will have the first, the fat, the carbohydrate and the protein. And then you'll see a little label less than 1% or less than 2%. And then you have all the vitamins and minerals that need to be added in and whatever sexy ingredients are also added. So it speaks volumes to me and I always encourage parents, parents, if it's less than 1% or less than 2%, it's probably not the source of your baby's constipation or reflux or, you know, whatever is bothering your family. So focus on the list of ingredients, focus on those first anywhere between like five and 10 ingredients that make up the 98% of your formula. And then once you have that dialed in, if you have options for sexy extras within your blend that you've got dialed in, fabulous. Explore them if your budget allows. But focusing on those first ingredients on the list is really where you're going to learn so much about your baby's biology and what really keeps them the most comfortable. That is such a great tip, especially because they don't always say the amount of all these things. So the fact that you're you're explaining it like whatever comes in order, obviously that's the most. That's actually really helpful. And I think that'll help a lot of parents when they have the, the label phobia because it, it is hard. And it's also hard whenever you're giving something to your baby to see the long list of ingredients. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all anti-process food and, you know, it's hard to look at. But remembering that babies are, are not just tiny adults, you know, we can't just give them vegetables and meat. They have to have something and you can't just give them cow's milk, need all those vitamins and minerals. And so try not to be intimidated by all the scary words. I agree. And it's funny, the first time I ever looked at one, I was like, wow. Cause again, I also was like, how am I supposed to read this? And then I did my own investigation and obviously through my training and thanks to your website, I, I got more insight. It is very daunting if you're not, especially if you're not in the medical field and you're already having anxiety over picking a formula, or maybe it's not what you expected to do, right? Meaning some families or some mothers were deciding on breastfeeding and then now they're being you know, told that they have to supplement or they're going down the formula route and they already have the guilt associated with not breastfeeding. And they're like, why am I giving all these ingredients? As a mother who is formula feeding her son, I want to really reassure you guys that it is like Bridget said, so regulated, all the ingredients in there are safe in the combination that they're, you know, being put into that formula. So there, it may be hard to read, it may be a long list, but it all makes sense. Yes. So what, what would be, I know this is a hard question because there's probably so many, but if a parent is going to the store and, you know, they're deciding, obviously they may breastfeed, but they want to have another formula or they're making the choice to fully formula feed, what would be your top five favorite formulas to start out with? Oh, that is a hard question. Um, well, I mean, I'd start by saying there's not a single terrible formula out there. I think I have probably worked with babies thriving now on every single formula made. So if there's no formula, I'm like, never feed that formula. You know, it's really just, um, really just independent. So it depends choosing a formula depends on where you're, where, what, who is your baby? So are they a freshling baby who just came out of the womb and they seem to be really having a hard time digesting? I would start them on a partially hydrolyzed formula. Are they nine months old killing solid foods and, you know, just supplementing on top of breast milk? Well, start that kid on an, on a standard formula with lactose and full size protein. They're going to be fine. You know, so it's really depends on the individual baby. So I can, I think what I'll say instead is I, I have a couple formulas that I think are really underutilized um, or under really under marketed because um, so much of so there's so much marketing and formula and it's so sad. Um, but there's a couple that I often find 
are helpful um, for considering. So one is actually, um, again, I have no affiliation with these companies, Enfamil Regulene. So it's Regulene because they market it for constipation. So it's kind of got that regular word in there. But it's a great formula for a lot other things than constipation. So it does have a prebiotic in it, which is like meh to me. But what's kind of cool about it is it's a partially hydrolyzed formula. It's a mixture of whey and casein. And it has a, so that's the protein. And the carbohydrate is 50% lactose, 50% corn syrup solids. So it's reduced, but there's still a good amount of lactose in there. So if you know your baby needs to be in the partially hydrolyzed category. So let's take your baby, for example. Perfect. You started off on Gerber, which is partially hydrolyzed and um, 100% whey. So say he's doing really well. But like there's still he's still having some discomfort, nowhere near enough where you're considering a fully hydrolyzed formula. But you still think like "Eh, there's still something in here that's not really that's still upsetting him or he's still having a difficult time with digesting. Then it's really nice to have a partially hydrolyzed option. That's a mixture of whey and casein. So if he's having a hard time with so much whey, well, that other formula, Enfamil Regulene, will have less whey because it will have some partially hydrolyzed casein. Um, And then. Enfamil's other partially hydrolyzed formula is Gentilese, and that's kind of the standard one they market as partially hydrolyzed, and that's only 20% lactose. So just in my experience, usually 50% lactose, if your baby's going to do better on a lactose reduction, like that's plenty. So it's nice that they still kind of get a good amount of lactose. So I like that formula um, for a lot of other reasons than constipation, so that's some on one. The other one that um, I often find is really helpful for parents who are drawn to European formulas, but... Uh, having a hard time getting around, wrapping their head around different regulations, finding an importer, or maybe their pediatrician. Some pediatricians are very comfortable, uncomfortable with European formulas. Um, we do have only one in the United States, one formula that is grass-fed, and that's Similac Pure Bliss. So it's a grass-fed formula. It's a great starter formula because it's super standard, meaning 100% lactose, Full-size protein, so just normal-size protein. It's a whey casein blend, about 50-50 whey, 50 casein. The carbohydrate's 100% lactose, and it is grass-fed. So that's a really nice compromise for a lot of families who want something like grass-fed. And there are way more grass-fed formulas available in Europe. But if they're a little wary of facing all the regulations importing or if their pediatrician is uncomfortable with that's a really nice compromise between the two that um, – it's just really helpful for a lot of families that we have at least one option. And thank you so much for saying that there is no bad formula, because again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about that guilt that people get. And I hear it often, especially in the social media world that, Uh oh, well, you're giving your child that one. That's not the best one. It's like, well, we said earlier, multiple times, it may be the best one for your baby, just going standard, standard formula. You walk in the aisle, you just grab what's there. Maybe the one that works for your baby, you never know. And I love the way you approach it. And again, you said this earlier, but how it is a trick question, that question I just asked (laughs) you, because you can't, it's the favorite could be varied baby to baby. So it may be your favorite, but you have to kind of see, well, what is going on with the baby? And I love this conversation so much because you've kind of broken down, okay, that example you gave with my son, Ryan, if things weren't working well, where could you go next? And I think that's important that parents understand that just like everything we do with our children, there may be, you may have a plan and you may need to change right. that a little bit. So I appreciate that. 
Have you heard about the terrible twos or three-nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. Now, in terms of the organic formula industry, I'm sure this is more relatively new. Is it perceived as better or is this just personal preference? Um, I have two answers. So the short answer is no, it's not better. From So I do research. So there is not a single research study sh- suggesting that organic formula provides any, definitely not nutritional benefit, like organic vitamin C is still vitamin C versus non-organic. So there's no study suggesting that organic formula provides benefit. Now there's very few studies, if at all, um, but it, it's it's completely it's kind of completely irrelevant also in terms of your baby's digestion. So what I mean by that is we don't have, we do have organic formulas, absolutely, but we have a limited option of organic formulas. So in the United States, all of the organic formula options are standard formulas, meaning full-size protein. So if your baby needs a partially hydrolyzed formula, organic is not better for you because again, you'll be getting a totally different protein source. And I've actually worked with a lot of families who um, who, who, who introduced a new formula without knowing it because they wanted to switch to organic, which again, that's no family's fault. It's really un- difficult to understand the label, but there's not much variation in the organic formulas in the U S market. They're all standard intact or full size proteins. And they all have, um, lactose or mostly lactose. Some of them are lactose reduced. Um, So if you need some kind of other protein source or larger lactose reduction, then organic would definitely be a worse choice for you. So I always say, I kind of view organic as a sexy extra. So find the perfect ingredient blend that works for your baby. And then if you can get that blend in organic, totally go for it. Like, do I wish all of our infant formulas were organic? Yeah, I do. I mean, like, I'm biased and I think babies are our best patients and we they should have the best ingredients. But that's not the that's just not the case 
with what we have available right now. So or there's no research proven benefit to having an organic formula. And in fact, it could be a detriment to you if your baby needs to be on one of these more specialized protein blends or carbohydrate blends that aren't available in an organic source. Great point. And, you know, I want to add that one thing I commonly see with organic formulas, and there's there are many, but um, Earth's Best is one of the yeah. common one that I hear. Um, a lot of families or a lot of the patients had more spit up with this formula. Mm-hmm. And and it could be case by case, but I just found that I, I don't personally promote a lot of organic formulas because I know that there are a lot of non-organic formulas that may be better tolerated. So this is just something in my last five years that I've gotten kind of turned off of the organic formulas because, again, it could just be the, all the ones using that or there's a bunch of other ones. But there are some good ones that are, I'm sure are out there. But again, everyone listening, it doesn't mean you have to do organic if your friend said that that's what they do because, like we said it could not work for your baby. And then I don't want you to live in this sort of worry that, well, why did I switch to this formula? And it's right. getting worse because that's what I see a lot of also going back to the, the switching when baby's gassy or spitting up is that parents are switching to a formula with the expectation that, oh, this is going to change. And then when it doesn't, they feel scared or they get worried or stressed. Understandably. Do you want a clinical tidbit? You want to know why I personally think that happens with organic formulas? Yeah. Yeah. So all, not all, but the vast majority of organic formulas are casein predominant. So most organic mm. formulas do not add whey back in. And that's because organic whey is very expensive. So if they just use organic nonfat milk, then that's still organic, but then it's a very, it's usually 80% or 70% casein. And casein, as we just discussed, curdles and it moves out of the stomach slower. So it actually makes a lot of sense that the baby spits up more because there's just the milk is hanging around a lot longer and casein can be kind of agitating for a baby, especially if they're moving from a formula that was mostly whey. So I've actually observed that many times myself as well. And I was like, Oh, it's because you moved to organic and like, God bless you. How are you supposed to know you were moving to a casein predominant formula that's written nowhere. You're just expected to look at the label and have all this knowledge. So there's a lot going into those, those choices and those um, formulation decisions that cor- that companies make. Well, I am just so happy that my clinical, yes, my I clinical know. judgment is matching with the science. That's awesome. Because I thank you because I was seeing that, and now that makes complete sense. Yeah. Especially, obviously, talking about the proteins in, in milk. So the last two questions I have are more just safety concerns. So one of them was um, parents ask, um, "Can I make formula at home? What are your thoughts?" Um, please don't. Yes, yes okay. please don't. I and I know, uh, like. Don't get me wrong. I'm like a barefoot hippie myself in the kitchen. I, I I get the draw. And if you go on YouTube, there's a million recipes, but there's two really big reasons not to. One is if your baby's exclusively formula fed, they're only drinking formula. So the recipe has to be like literally perfect. There's zero room for error because um, if you put a little too little of something in on accident, your baby will develop a deficiency very quickly or a toxicity very quickly because it's all they're eating. The other thing is there's just so much out of your control. So even if you are a registered dietitian with a PhD and like you can make a perfect recipe, there's no way that you can guarantee that you can implement it. Meaning every formula recipe has to use supplements. Like that usually there has to be at least a B vitamin supplement, but all those other vitamins and minerals, because it has to provide every single vitamin and mineral. You have to rely on some degree of supplements and supplements are not regulated by the FDA. So even when you buy a supplement and it says 
for example, this has 200 milligrams of vitamin C. You don't really know that it has 200 milligrams. The average batch may, but that one may have 100. The next one may have 500. And they can use fillers that they don't have to put on the label. So you don't know if you're feeding your baby gluten, sawdust, potato starch, all these other things that come in supplements that don't even need to be listed on the label. Um, and that's just very scary. So babies can develop toxicities or deficiencies of nutrients very quickly, but they can also be exposed to all these other um, potentially really dangerous ingredients. And there's just, so even if you're the perfect parent and nobody is, we're all sleep deprived and just doing our best. But even if you were, there's so many of those other factors out of your control that babies can get really sick really fast. And so it's just never worth the risk. And we're recording this during the pandemic for COVID-19. So if you're listening to this now, you that's great. If you're listening two years from now, remember the timing. Right now, there was a lot of push on social media from, oh, we can't leave. So let's just make our own formula at home. And all of the pediatricians were like, what is going on? No, no, no. I agree with you completely. Do not make your own formula. It's just too risky. And it's not the composition that's needed to be safe for your baby. So I agree with you completely. The last one I have was powder versus ready-made. Is uh, the difference, is it okay to do powder? Of course, um, for everyone who's not familiar, powder tends to be more affordable. So what's the difference for those two? Unless your pediatrician has told you you specifically need to be using ready-to-feed, then totally you can use powder. So if your baby is immunocompromised or premature, like there's, there's very specific criteria where your pediatrician may tell you that they want you to use ready to feed, um, go for powder or feel free to switch back and forth. So ready to feed formulas are sterile, meaning that you can kind of think of things when they're boiled, they're sterile. So there's absolutely no living bugs. The baby cannot get contaminated sick from a ready to feed liquid formula. Powder, there's always a potential to for that because you're mixing it with water, you know, your dirty hands, that kind of a thing. Um, but so few babies need that extra, extra protection of ready to feed. That powder is perfectly fine, perfectly safe. We have very clean water here in the U.S. We're very blessed. And so that's, you know, not a concern. There are usually a couple differences between powder and ready to feed that sometimes affect babies' comfort. So I get this question all the time, like, I'm trying to transition my baby from ready to feed to powder and he won't take it or it gives him gas. And like, I'm so tired of spending the money. Help. So Usually the recipes are the same with a few exceptions. Because ready to feed or liquid concentrate is sterile, it can't have probiotics. Mm. The probiotics are killed yeah. because they are bacteria. Even though they're good bacteria, they would be killed. So again, your baby's a perfect example. So he's on Soothe. If you're making it with powder, he's getting a probiotic every single day. If you say you're going to go on a trip, so you can switch to ready to feed for a week and he does great. You come back home, go back to the powder and he's gassy as all. You're like, what is happening? Well, it's probably because he stopped having a probiotic for a week. And then if you switch just cold turkey, it's like whole hog, full dose probiotic, which if you do too much probiotic too fast, you usually end up with gas. So that's something to be aware of. Probiotics can only be in powdered formula. They can, they literally just can't be in liquid formula. The other thing that sometimes makes a difference is powdered formula. You obviously have to shake or stir or do something with to get it to go into a liquid form. So often it gets more bubbles in it um, by getting it to go into liquid. And so sometimes, especially if you're rushing, like the baby's screaming, you're trying to make that bottle so fast, you can inadvertently have your baby swallow more air 
drinking a powdered formula than a liquid formula because of all those air bubbles, which can, can some in some babies, not all babies, contribute to more gas. So those are things you can keep in mind and address. Like you can make your formula ahead of time so it can sit in the fridge for a couple hours before you use it, which will help the foam to settle. Or, uh, you know, just be aware of those differences will help you assess if that's what's causing your baby to seem to prefer one versus the other. These are great tips. And I think I actually spoke about that in my my fussy newborn episode that you listened to also. Yeah, yeah. because about, yes, about maybe the, obviously the air bubbles and whatnot. And yes, I agree with the ready-made and um, for, uh, powdered formula comment. Your pediatrician would talk to you, but typically if a baby's premature, so before 37 weeks, um, or if the baby has any sort of medical condition, just run it by the pediatrician. And usually under the age of six weeks, we say just do ready-made. Um, and then and then you can start to do powdered after that. But run it by your doctor just to make sure. We actually started out with Gentilies at the hospital. And then, so it was ready-made. And then we transitioned to um, the probiotic one because that's what I had preferred. Uh, and, you know, it just worked better for Ryan when Gentilies could work yeah. for many other families and babies. So it's just exactly what you said. Oh, Bridget, I could talk to you about formula for the rest of the night, oh but God, yes. for, <laughs> I, I love this. I, I think this was an amazing summary of the bare bones of formula. Obviously, there's way more that yeah. goes into for, way, way more, no pun intended. <laughs> there's, there's way more that goes into um, formulas than what we talked about. But what would be your final message for everyone listening? Oh, you know what? It wouldn't be about formula. I mean, definitely educate yourself, get yourself over to my website, talk to your pediatrician. But my final message would be, especially if I could speak to the moms in particular who had hoped to exclusively breastfeed and are may now be facing supplementation or switch to formula. It's so emotional. The, on top of hormones you may already be feeling, I would say, take a deep breath. You're doing a great job and trust your intuition. So you'll have to make a choice educate yourself for sure. But then you're the expert on your own baby. So get the knowledge and then trust your intuition when you're making a choice because your baby is your baby and you are the expert on that sweet little thing and they were meant to be with you. So you're doing a wonderful job. Oh, I love it. And I cannot express that enough as well, that if you are living with that guilt and you're listening to this episode because you, and again, you wanted to breastfeed and that wasn't, this isn't what you wanted to ever do for your baby. You never thought you'd listen to a podcast episode about formula. I, I want to personally tell you a little story just briefly before we go. I, I'm a pediatrician. I thought I would breastfeed. We actually get formula samples in our office. So one of the formula reps came by and she said, Dr. Amin, what formula are you going to give your baby? And I said, I'm going to breastfeed. And it was so nonchalant, right? I said, I'm going to breastfeed. And I had some formulas in mind in case I needed to supplement or in case I needed to go the formula route. And lo and behold, I ended up needing to do formula. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I, you know, you dealt with it for one day. I was very upset about it for one day. And then I realized just how beneficial it was for me and my recovery and how, you know, eight months later, Ryan is thriving. And so the amazing thing about formula, and I want to brief, that's my final message is that there is so much research that goes behind it. We are lucky that we have that option. I, I describe it to some of my moms that, you know, some people in the world, they can't for whatever reason, breastfeed their babies and they don't have access to 
you know, sterile formula or formula in general. And so we're lucky that if that's what needs to happen, there are alternatives. And I agree. I do not want a mother to feel guilty. I, I wish I could just leap out of this episode and hug every mom who's making that, that decision because it is a really hard decision when you had breastfeeding in your plan. And then now you're having to research this kind of last minute. So I hope a lot of the people listening to this are maybe expecting parents because it's just nice to know what your options are in the chance. Doesn't mean that your breastfeeding is not going to be successful, but in the chance that you have to go that route. So you're not, you know, at 2 a.m. trying to figure out, well, what formula do I have to go get now? And it's something that just keeps you a little bit prepared and not panic because it can just help you with those stressful, stressful nights of that fourth trimester. Yes. Yes. Amen. And I'm going to be adding uh, Bridget's website to, to my show notes, as well as her Instagram page. And Bridget, you also have a course that you do? Yes. So we actually, my team and I just re- recently released um, a baby formula e-course for parents. So if you are in that situation where you are realizing you're going to need to be choosing a formula for the first time, or even worse, if you're using formula and you know you need to switch, but are feeling very overwhelmed about how to go about making that decision, that's who our e-course is for. So it's going to take the topics we started to cover here and really go down into more detail and walk you through my step-by-step method for deciding what ingredients you want to target for your unique baby and helping you choose so that you're making an evidence-based choice based on science and not marketing. So that if you are interested in that, go over to bestbabyformula.com and join me there. And then my website is babyformulaexpert.com where there's all kinds of resources. And if you are a nerd like me, it's going to be your heaven. You can find out anything you want to know about all the other aspects of formula. um, And I'd be happy to chat with anybody over there. Thank you so much. And I think you will be able to probably do a promo code. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yes. I have a promo code for your audience. Thank you for reminding me. So for those of you who are interested in the course, you can use the code PEDSDOCTALK10. So do all caps, PEDSDOCTALK10, and that will get you $10 off the course. Thank you so much for the for the code, for your, obviously your training and education to be able to provide this much needed resource. So I, again, am so grateful to you. I'm so grateful for your content on your, on your website, as well as on your Instagram, but also for joining me today. Yes. You're wonderful too. I feel the same exact way about you. Thank you for everything you do for parents. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, please leave a review, share it with a friend, comment on my social media. And if you're not already, follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram. Love doing this for all of you. Have a great rest of your week. Take care. Talk to you soon. Are you tired of searching Google and ending up in a rabbit hole at 2 a.m. thinking that you're ruining your kid? Stop and visit pedsdoctalk.com. My website is your new Google with a search feature to search all content that I have that is free or available by purchase. And let me tell you, there are a lot of free goodies there, like free printable PDFs for how to handle a choking incident to milestones to monitor in your kid. My website provides information regarding the health and development of your child, including parenting and sleep. My goal is that you stop those middle-of-the-night searches that lead you nowhere but into the land of anxiety. My goal is to guide you to be the confident and calm parent I know that you are. 
make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and use the magnifying glass to search. Want even more? Make sure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting pedsdoctalk.com slash newsletter, where you can get the latest and greatest in child health news and parenting tips delivered directly to your inbox. That's pedsdoctalk.com slash newsletter.